Amen. Thank you, praise team. And uh, thank you, you guys, for singing. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Boys and girls, ages four years old through kindergarten, you may go to children's church. And the rest of you should have received an outline in your bulletin. If you did not, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers will get you one of those here momentarily. So just stick your hand up high. How many of you were glad for the warm weather yesterday, right? All right. You know, that's amazing. You know, it's been cold when we say 40 degrees is warm, right? But it felt warm. Compared to negative 5, 40 degrees feels balmy, you know? So, Mark, I understand why you had the short sleeve shirt on and so forth. You know, my wife went on a mission trip out to Montana one year, and uh, it was July 4th. They had a July 4th thing that uh, they went to, and uh, it actually snowed on July 4th uh, there in um, Billings, I think, Montana. And um, she said that people came. They were all dressed in shorts and T-shirts and stuff and what have you. It was snowing outside. And uh, she said, what are y'all doing? It's snowing out here. It's cold. They said, listen, we dress by the calendar here. Otherwise, we'd never get a chance to to wear short (laughs) sleeves and stuff. So... Anyway, uh, we are continuing our series on the book of Acts this morning, and uh, I have to ask you a question. How many of you looked at your bulletin this morning, anybody look at your front of your bulletin, and saw the title and said, what in the world is that all about, right? How many of you made you a little hungry, okay? <laughs> there you go. All the kids raise their hand. Uh, I did not bring any marshmallows. I probably should have, but uh, I wanted to kind of share with you a little bit of how that title uh, came about. I was really, uh, I was really debating this past week and struggling on what to what to call this sermon. I was I was looking for a title and so forth and debating back and forth. And uh, when I, as I was, my daughter Caroline walked into the room, my, my, our eight year old daughter, and uh, I uh, I looked at Caroline as I was debating this. And I said, Caroline, what should I call my sermon this Sunday? And guess what she said? Good marshmallows. That's exactly what she said. And so that's how the title got to be Good Marshmallows this morning. I know some of you think that's kind of silly. Uh, well, that's okay. Uh, I looked at her and I said, Caroline, that is silly. That, that, that doesn't make any sense. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. And guess what she did? She just giggled. Okay. <laughs> she just giggled. Right. And, and she was like, well, what, how do you know, Caroline, you want, to, you want your credit for this? Okay. Raise your hand. This is Caroline right here. All right. Give her a hand for the... But actually, I got to thinking about it a little bit, and and we're going to be talking this morning about Paul's uh, farewell address to the Ephesian elders. Uh, Paul had spent three years, two years, and then come back and forth some, so about three years in all uh, with the church in Ephesus, and uh, he was coming back through, and he wanted to meet with the elders, and we're going to talk about this, kind of what he has to say to them, but this is his farewell address, his goodbye address, and I got to thinking about it, and I'm saying, you know, there's a lot of, we use a lot of different phrases for goodbye, right? We may just say, so long, see you later. Say it with me, alligator, right? See you later, alligator, okay? You know, ciao, sayonara, au revoir. We we have a lot of phrases we use to say goodbye. So I thought, why not one more? Good marshmallows. Good marshmallows. You know, it's kind of, actually, it's kind of like aloha. You know, you can say aloha coming and going. You can say good marshmallows coming or going. Good marshmallows. Good marshmallows, right? It it, it can be used for lots of different things. Now, some of you are thinking, he has fallen off of his rocker. How many of you thinking that? Yes? I have five children. That explains it, all right? So um, five children can cause you to fall off your rocker. This morning, we are talking about Paul's good marshmallows address, his goodbye address to the church at Ephesus. And, you know, as Paul was getting ready to say goodbye with them, you know, whenever... If you've ever said goodbye to somebody and possibly be the last time you ever see them, what kind of testimony do you leave with them? You know, what what are their thoughts about you and what you stood for and what was important in your life? 
I, I think we all could say here this morning that we know as well as they knew what Paul stood for. Amen? We knew what, what was, Paul was passionate for, who Paul loved. And so that, Paul talks about his testimony a little bit this morning. We're going to look at this, and, and, and as we do, uh, we're going we're gonna to see some of, just kind of what testimony Paul left with them. Before we get to that, before we get to our uh, first point this morning, look at verse 13, if you will. We're going to kind of follow Paul's travels here. Remember last week as we were talking and, and looking at the first part of chapter 20, uh, they were in Troas. And Troas was where Eutychus, the young man, did what? Fell, out, fell asleep during a sermon, all right, and fell out the window. So if you weren't here last week, there's your warning, all right? He fell out the window and he died. And uh, praise God that Paul uh, revived him. God worked through Paul in that way. But verse 13, as they are leaving Troas, says this says, then we went ahead to the ship. Now, again, this is one of those we passages in the book of Acts. Uh, the, the we who is writing here is whom? It's Luke, okay? It's Luke, the physician, uh, the author of the gospel of Luke, and also here, the book of Acts. And so Luke, at different times throughout the book of Acts, is, has joined Paul on his journey. And it was not just Luke, but according to verse 4, there were seven other guys at least. We don't know if, how many of them continued on the way, but they were traveling, uh, went with Paul as well uh, to Asia, and we don't know how long they stayed with him. But nevertheless, Luke writes, Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. So let's take a look at the map here just a minute. And we see Troas is right here. Asos is right here. Now, uh, kind of what verse 13 says is that they had ha taken the, the boat, a ship, over to Troas. So somebody had to go with the ship. So Luke and several of the others went on the ship and sailed around to Asos. But if you see, it's almost as short of a time to walk as it is to, to, to go by boat. And so Paul decided to walk. And we don't know why. Did he need the exercise? Maybe so. We all could use a little more exercise. Amen. Uh, maybe, and I'd probably like to think that Paul wanted uh, some of the folks from Troas to, to go with him and wanted to spend a little bit more time with them and, and teaching them and talking about things with them. Maybe there were some folks on the way that he wanted to visit with or wanted to say hi to on the way there. But nevertheless, Paul went on foot to Asos while they took the boat. Verse 14, it says, And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board, came to Mytilene. You see there, that's the next... Uh, they sailed over here to Mytilene, and then we sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day, we came to Miletus. So here they follow their, came to Mytilene, to Chios, to Samos, and then on down here to Miletus. Verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. Now, sounds a little odd. Paul spent a lot of time at the church in Ephesus. He had established the church in Ephesus right here, but he decided here to sail around Ephesus and go straight to Miletus. Why? It says so that he would not have to spend time there, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So Paul sailed around Ephesus to save time because he had felt compelled by the Spirit. The Spirit of God was leading him to be in Jerusalem by, on the day of Pentecost, and God had revealed that to him. So he, he knew if he'd gone to Ephesus, he would end up spending a lot more time and possibly wouldn't make it to Jerusalem by Pentecost. However, as he sailed around Ephesus, went to Miletus, he decided uh, he did want to say goodbye to the leaders from Ephesus. Remember, he'd spent a long time there ministering with them and had probably become very close to them. So look at verse 17 says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So he called for them, even though he didn't go to Ephesus. He said, hey, meet me in, Eph in Miletus. I want to meet with you guys. I want to see you, as we're going to see probably for the last time. And I want to talk to you about some things. So here in verse 18, Paul begins his farewell address to the elders, to the pastor elder overseers of the church at Ephesus. And as he begins this, you're going to look at our outline this morning, he shares really three things. The message that he shares kind of breaks down into three different areas. Paul begins his farewell address to them by first speaking of his work with them, his past work among them. Look at verse 18. 
says, and when they had come to him, Paul said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. You remember Paul was always under persecution by the Jews who didn't like the fact that he was converting many of the Jews to Christianity. Verse 20 says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, Paul starts off by reminding them how he lived among them. He he was faithful to them. He was faithful to the gospel. He was honest uh, in in all of his dealings with them. Uh, He served them and served the Lord with all humility. They saw him serving the Lord. They saw him honestly, passionately, all out, seeking to bring as many as he could to Christ. Why? Simply because he wanted to do what God had called him to do, and he cared about where each one of them would spend their eternity. Paul appeals to to their firsthand knowledge of him as credibility for the truth that he had shared to them. He said, listen, you, everything that I've shared to you, you know is true because you saw me, you saw how I lived among you. You know that I'm not just speaking something and I don't live it myself. This is what I believe and this is, this is the truth. He appealed to their firsthand knowledge of him for credibility of the truth that he shared with them about Christ and the things they had learned from him. Now, the question is, why would Paul feel the need to do that? Why would Paul feel the need to talk about himself like that and to, to, to really kind of give his, uh, build up his credibility? Well, what we're going to see uh, a little bit later on this morning and a, what, what is kind of one of the normal things, unfortunately, that happened uh, where anywhere Paul went and planted churches was that after Paul would plant a church, he would see people come to Christ and he would invest in them. He had to move on to another city. And so what happened many times when he did that was other false teachers would come in after him trying to to pull people away from the truth and trying to pull them into a strange and false teaching. They began twisting the truth and teaching their own agenda instead of the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ alone. We know there were uh, there were groups such as the Judaizers, those who wanted to kind of be legalistic and force uh, the Jewish law onto Christians and, and really twist and pervert the gospel. There were the Gnostics who wanted to take the gospel and just make it all about knowledge. Friends, so Paul knew that this was going to happen, so he wanted to head this off. Can you imagine spending three years of your life somewhere? And then leaving and saying, you know, is this work going to continue on? Is this work going to continue to do? Are they going to continue to do what I've taught them and, and shared with them to do? So Paul wanted to head off any, any trouble. He wanted to address the possibility that false teachers would come in. And that's why he addresses this by saying, listen, you knew me. You know who I am. Friends, they knew Paul. They knew his sincerity. They knew his love and care for them. And he wanted to remind them of this. Why? So that they could have full confidence and assurance and trust in what he had taught them. Friends, there's an important truth in this that I believe we need to understand. Our past helps people know what to expect of us in the future. Amen? People look at our lives and they, 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 they either see some credibility to know that they can trust us or they see maybe a lack of credibility and, and wonder if they can. Our past can help people be able to trust us and know that they can count on us or our past can cause people to doubt us, to question whether they can trust us, to wonder, are we really going to follow through with what we say and, and are we somebody that they can really count on and trust what we say? Friends, past history is a predictor of future performance. Friends, you wonder why people don't trust you. You wonder why, why your boss doubts if you can do the job. You wonder why you, maybe you're not given more responsibility. Here's the way the Bible puts it. The Bible says, faithful in little, faithful in what? Much. And other, the, the, the reverse is true as well. Not faithful in little, guess what? Not faithful in much. So many people say, oh, well, you know, if I get that bigger job, I'll really work hard. Well, why don't you work hard right where you are now to show to, to whomever it is uh, what, you're, what, what you're really about? 
friends, because people are watching you. Your boss is watching you. Other believers are watching you and, and, and seeing. So, friends, the way we live our life gives, either gives credence to or causes people to question what we say to them. Amen? I um, worked at a company before I, God called me into the ministry. And uh, this company that I worked at, everybody in the company started out at the bottom. Uh, everybody started out in the warehouse. Um, you, you know, sweeping floors, pulling orders, driving a forklift, everything. You move up from there to driving a truck. Then you'd move up from there into counter sales and so forth. So it didn't matter where in the company you wanted to work, if it was count inside sales, outside sales, uh, even branch manager or even CEO and stuff in the company, didn't matter where in that company you wanted to work, you started out where? At the bottom, ground zero. Now, why would a company do that? Well, there are really two reasons. First of all, it's just a practical reason. They wanted everybody to know all aspects of the business. That makes sense, right? Only way you can really know that is by doing all of those things. But the other reason they did that is because they wanted to see if, uh, if, if each individual would be faithful even in the little things. If they weren't uh, too good to sweep a floor, if they weren't too good to take the trash out, Friends, you say, oh, well, I'll be faithful when I get this bigger, bigger role or this bigger thing. Or if I get the job I want, then I'll work hard. No, you won't, friends. You are setting who you are right now. You say, but pastor, pastor, what if I've messed up? What, what, if, what if my track record is not that good? Friends, listen, we have a God that is a God of second chances. Amen. Listen, we can come to the Lord. Listen, here's Maybe you just need to have a come to Jesus moment. Amen. You know, it's not just about getting things right. It's about repenting of where we've been wrong, asking God to forgive us. And friends, listen, uh, if, if, if our testimony, just maybe not talking about even our work and so forth, but even our testimony in Christ has not been good. Maybe, listen, if you, people were to, were to say, you know what, I'm going to put him on trial for being a Christian. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? What do people see in your life? Is an indicator of what they're going to see in the future. And friends, listen, uh, it's never too late to change, amen? It's never too late to, 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 to give it over to the Lord, friends. But listen, we need to have a come-to-Jesus moment where we realize our wrongs. We realize where we've sinned. We realize where we've wrong. We turn from that, and we then turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we begin living for Him, amen? I love Colossians chapter 3 where it says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all, what? To the glory of God. Everything we do, friends, people are watching us. And, and so we work as unto the Lord. And, and, and you say, well, people are, aren't going to like that. Uh, yes, they will. Listen, I'm not, I'm not even talking about sharing your faith right now. I'm just talking about giving a testimony of good, honest, hard work where you work. Amen? Do it as unto the Lord and not unto men. Let the way you live your life be a, also be a demonstration of who you are in Christ, friends. And that gives great testimony to uh, what, who, what and who is important in your life. You know, what do you say are your priorities in your life? You know, oh, well, Jesus is number one in my life. He is the, the priority in my life. Well, then why are all these other things what other people would say are the priorities of your life? You see, if we say he's the priority, then we ought to be able to look at our life and, and we ought to be able to see that. Amen? Our past gives an indicator of our future. The good thing is, friends, it's never too late to change. And God is more than happy to give us a second chance. Amen? So Paul starts out by talking about his past work among them. They knew that, he said. And so because of that, listen, uh, because of that, they could trust in him. But not only does he talk about his past work among them, the second thing Paul shares with them is he kind of gives them this goodbye sermon, if you will, this farewell message. He talks about his present commitment to the Lord. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, Paul says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. Now, that sounds pretty, pretty radical there. What does it mean? He's bound in the Spirit. He is compelled by the Spirit. Paul 
has felt God call him to do this. He has to go there. It is an undeniable call in his life of what God wants him to do. Now, friends, here's the thing. A lot of people don't understand a calling on our life. Uh, you know, I believe we all experience a call to salvation. We, we, we decide whether we're going to respond to that call of salvation and trusting in Christ or not. Friends, but God may be placing other calls in your life, a call to serve, uh, maybe with youth, a call to serve with children. It may or may not be a call to full-time ministry, friends, but every single Christian, I believe God calls to serve him. Amen? God calls us to serve him. Friends, God, nowhere in Scripture do we see that God calls anybody just to sit and soak. Okay, you know what I'm saying? He calls us to be active in serving him. And so Paul, uh, feeling God's call to go to Jerusalem, says, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So what was going on there? Everywhere Paul went, people would tell him, Paul, you're going to Jerusalem? Paul, they're going to kill you. Paul, they're going to beat you. They're going to persecute you, Paul. Don't go there. Paul took that as testimony of the Holy Spirit. He knew that God was calling him to go there, but people were saying that, and so he knew that the Holy Spirit was preparing him for what he was going to face in Jerusalem. But let me ask you a question. Did that stop Paul? Not at all. Look at verse 24. He says, but none of these things move me. None of these things affect me. It doesn't matter what I have to go through I am going to follow the Lord. What a great testimony, amen? What a great testimony. That no matter what he faced, Paul said it didn't matter. I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ. I am following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you think about it, when you think about how Jesus called the original 12, what did he say to them? He didn't start off with some deep theological treatise, did he? He simply went and he said, come follow me. Come and follow me. And there, there were some that he said that to, and, and they got up and they immediately followed him, right? Said they left their, left their nets and they immediately followed him. There were others when Jesus said, come follow me. They said, oh, okay, okay, but first let me go and, and, and take care of uh, my family. First, let me go and bury the dead. First, let me go and take care of this. And so, friends, listen, we always can come up with some kind of an excuse, Amen. But Jesus calls us to simply follow him, follow him, serve him with all of our heart. Paul says in verse 24, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Friends, uh, no matter what it meant for him personally, Paul had decided that he must go and do what God had called him to do, and nothing, absolutely nothing was going to stop him. Amen? But that meant some sadness for where he was now. Look at verse 25. It says, And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Now, Paul didn't, uh, this was the reason why he felt compelled to bring them and speak to them because uh, he seriously thought that this was the last time that he would ever see them. We really uh, are not certain whether Paul made it back to Ephesus, Ephesus again or not. Some think that he may have, but nevertheless, uh, he thought he, he would never go back there and, and maybe, maybe didn't. So he says, listen, I, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. What does he mean there? He had shared the gospel faithfully. Amen. Listen, nobody could say you didn't share, you didn't do what you wanted. Verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Friends, Paul had no regrets. Paul had shared faithfully the word of God. Ephesus had become a center for the gospel. They'd begun sending out from Ephesus uh, folks to share the gospel. And Paul testifies that, he testifies that he declared the gospel to them and among them faithfully because that is what God called him to do. And he had no regrets about his service among them. Friends, wouldn't you like to live with no regrets? Amen. You know, how many of us could say, coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? <laughs> a lot of times, oh, if I'd only done this, if I'd only done this. Listen, 
If you feel God calling you to serve in some area, do it. If you feel God leading you to share with somebody, guess what? Do it. Do it. You know, you need to do what God is calling you to do. Friends, let's not live with regrets, but let's live all out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, there was no doubt to anybody who knew the Apostle Paul where he stood. Amen? Everybody who neither knew Paul or ever heard of Paul knew where his commitment was. They knew that his commitment was to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? They knew that he lived and breathed and would even die for the Lord Jesus Christ. How about you? How about you? What kind of testimony do you give to other people? What do people, by looking and seeing your life, uh, what kind of commitment do people see in you today? Now, some people say, oh, well, pastor, I, I'm going to serve the Lord. I, I plan on it. As soon as I get through this stage of life, you know, I'm just really going through a difficult time and so forth right now and I'm trying to get some things in order and get my house in order and stuff, then I'm going to serve the Lord. Well, guess what? When you get that in order, guess what's going to happen? Something else is going to be out of order, and something else is going to come up, and something else is going to come up. Not, not are you going to serve the Lord one day, but now. Oh, but, but Pastor, you, you should have known me when I was in high school. Pastor, man, I was all out for Jesus. I witnessed everybody in school and so forth. And you know what? That's great. Proud of you. Wonderful. But that was then. What about now? What about now? Are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ? What kind of commitment do you have? Where are you today in your commitment to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Friends, you, nobody questions where Peyton Manning's commitment is, do they? Peyton, Peyton Manning is all about football, right? Nobody questions Warren Buffett's commitment to his portfolio, right? <laughs> nobody questions Rush Limbaugh's commitment to conservatism. Nobody questions Dave Ramsey's commitment to what? Being debt-free, <laughs> right? You know they're committed to those things. Why? Because their life revolves around them, friends. They have devoted their whole life to those things. Their commitment is evident in their actions. Friends, do people question where your commitment lies? What does your life demonstrate? If someone were to examine your life, would there be enough evidence in your life to back up what you say with your mouth? Oh, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Really? Then why does it look like in your life all these other things are the priorities? Friends, Paul's commitment to the Lord was unquestioned. Amen? How about yours? Where is your commitment to the Lord? So, what we see here, friends, Paul talks about his past among them, and he uses that, and he says, listen, you know me, therefore you can trust what I am telling you. Paul talks about his commitment, his present commitment to the Lord. And, and the third area in this message that Paul speaks that he talks about, friends, is his future concern for the church. Paul talks about uh, everything kind of, I believe, leading up to this. I believe this is where Paul has been heading with his message to them all along. Because he, as he had spent so much time there, as he had invested so much in them, and he probably led most of them to the Lord, if not all of them, and he had discipled them and helped them grow up in Christ, and he'd helped get that uh, church at Ephesus started, and he had taught them, remember, in the school of Tyrannus, and, and he had really discipled them heavily there, what was going to happen to them when he moved on? Paul was concerned about that. So look at verse 28 says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Friends, here Paul is speaking to those pastor elder overseers of the Ephesian church, the leaders of the church. We've talked about this before when uh, how a pastor is the same. It's one office, three different roles. A pastor uh, is, is the shepherd of the church. It's the same term. Uh, another term that's used for that same person or same office is an elder, speaking of the spiritual maturity of that. Another term that's used in scripture is the word overseer. And so the Bible uses these three terms interchangeably to talk about one office, one position, that what 
what we have termed, I've said before, as pastor, elder, overseer. In today's world and in Baptist context, we normally use the term pastor. So Paul here is speaking to the pastors or the elders of the church, their leadership team, and he begins by sharing four main concerns with them. First of all, friends, that they watch over and care for the church. He simply says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Listen, when God has called a person to... uh, Uh, to a position of leadership in a church it is not about the position but it's about service amen it's about watching over and caring for the body of christ Uh, the role we're talking about here is the role in which uh, i am in here in this church the role that our leadership team uh, is in chris and mike and tom and so that role is the call to watch over the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That term is really a broad term. It is really just to have oversight over all the things that happen, to watch over the spiritual condition, friends, to make sure that the the flock is protected. You know, just like a shepherd watches over and feeds and protects his sheep, a pastor, elder, overseer is supposed to do the same thing for Jesus' church. Amen? He is to feed them the Word of God. Friends, you wonder why we get up here every week and we open our Bibles. I, I don't know how many of you have told me and how many people have told me, Pastor, I go to, I visited a lot of churches and many churches don't even open their Bible. Or they open the Bible and they read a text and then they use it as a jumping uh, spot or a launching pad off into whatever else they're going to talk about. Friends, if there's one thing I believe more than anything else, friends, is that this is what we need to learn from. Amen? It is God's Word. And it is truth uh, without any mixture of error, friends. And listen, if anything I say does not come from the Word of God, friends, you need to measure it by the Word of God. Amen? And, and I want you to do that, friends. So a pastor is supposed to feed the, 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 the flock the Word of God. He is to help care for their needs. We, he is to, to, to equip the people, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. He is to oversee their spiritual well-being and to protect them from false doctrine. We'll come back to that here in just a minute. But uh, I, I will tell you this, I don't take any of those responsibilities lightly. I know your leadership team doesn't take any of those responsibilities lightly. It is a task in which God has placed us in and we want to be faithful in that. So if the responsibilities of pastor elder overseers are to watch over and care for the church, what's the responsibility of the congregation? We could go into a lot of different things, but let me just kind of boil it down to a couple of things here. One is to let the leaders do their work with joy. Amen? You know, too many churches spend time fighting and arguing and bickering back and forth. Oh, well, I want this and I want that. and I want this. Listen, it is not about any of our preferences. Amen? Uh, listen, and mine included, okay? Um, I believe it is about what God wants for our church. And we are to seek to do what he wants, not what I want, not what you want, not what somebody else wants. So, friends, one of the things Paul's going to warn them about, we're going to talk about just in a minute, is people who come into the church with an agenda. I can't tell you, a lot of times I get phone calls and, oh, pastor, well, you know, I, I'd like to, like to come in and like to talk about this and whatever. I'd like to talk about that. Listen, I have to guard that very carefully, okay? Uh, what, what, what I allow goes on in the church, friends, because if it's not about Jesus, it doesn't need to happen here. Got to guard that. And so one responsibility of the congregation is to uh, follow the God-given leadership of the church. But here's the deal. Another responsibility of the congregation is to cooperate in serving the Lord Jesus together. Amen? Listen, one of the mis- misnomers or, 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 or misleadings in our world today is that, oh, we'll hire professional staff and we'll pay them and they'll let them do the work of the ministry. It's not the way the church is supposed to supposed to be uh, uh, taking place amen it's not the way we're supposed to be doing this listen the bible says in ephesians chapter 4 that the the pastors pastors teachers are to equip god's people for the work of the ministry and so uh, do i do ministry yes absolutely but guess what i'm also supposed to help equip you to do the work of the ministry we each are to care for each other amen we each are to, to, to reach out to others. We each are to share the gospel, friends. We are to each share the work of the ministry so that the kingdom of God can expand. Amen? 
we are to all serve together, not any one of us on our own. Friends, because together we can do so much more than any single one of us could do by ourselves. Amen? It is not a group of people that sit there and and clap for the pastors to do all the work, but it is the people of the church doing the ministry of the church. Amen? And I want to commend you that you guys do a great job of that. Uh, Somebody was asking me recently, well, pastor, you know, I know normally uh, the statistics go that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Um, You know what, let's do just an informal survey. I know some of you are visitors and guests this morning. You're new to Southside. But I I just want to do a a rough little survey here. How many of you serve um, in, uh, let's just start with our children or youth areas how many of you serve in some way shape or form in our children's or youth whether that's in nursery whether that's in um awana let raise your hand up high okay raise your hand up high really high or in our youth group or whatever okay praise god for that now how many of you serve somewhere else keep your hands up keep your hands up how many of you serve somewhere else maybe in our ushers or with our ladies ministry or men's ministry or or with the seniors and so forth praise god for that praise god for that all right amen Give yourselves a hand. Praise God for that. I, friends, that's what we want to be about. Is It is about each and every one of us serving. And so, listen, as we all do what God has called us to do, then uh, many hands make what? Light work. Okay? And we can together see many people come to know Christ. And I believe that's what the way God intended for his church to work. Amen? So, uh, pastor elder overseers are to watch over and care for the church uh, and that's one of the concerns paul had for that church is how they would be cared for once he was gone but friends the second concern paul has him for their for their future friends is that they needed to beware of false teachers paul knew what happened normally after he was gone look at verse 29 paul right uh, paul says for i know this that after my departure Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. I've already mentioned this, but friends, it is amazing. In Paul's day and even in our day, how many people want to come in and teach their own agenda? They want to come in and twist the gospel. Uh, Paul had many groups that he uh, had to deal with, the Judaizers and the Gnostics and others who came in and they wanted to take the gospel of grace, as we're going to talk about just this morning, and twist it and, and make it fit what they wanted it to say, friends. So Paul said, listen, they're like savage wolves and they'll come in and they will eat you alive. Friends, we need to be careful about false teaching. Amen? But not only from outside, but look at verse 30. He says, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things uh, among you to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Here again, he goes back and appeals to that. But Paul is warning them that false teaching will come. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be ready. It will come from without and come from within, and we need to be careful. Friends, you need to be careful. You know, one of the things that's kind of popular today and there's kind of a movement among and i'm probably getting ready to make some people mad a little bit that's not my intention my intention is to warn you um there there's a movement among uh churches today a movement of ecumenism a movement whereby um the people of the church for people of the church just to work together you know, you've heard it said, oh, if we could just all work together and the, the people of the world could see us all working together, and then that would be a great testimony for the Lord. And so there's a movement for people of the church to work together and not be so concerned about every little tidbit of doctrine. Now listen to me, and I want you to listen to me carefully. Friends, uh, no one believes in cooperation for the sake of the gospel more than I do. It's one of the reasons as uh, we are a Southern Baptist church. Because we believe in cooperating together for the sake of the gospel. We cooperate with over 45,000 other churches across America to spread the gospel to a lost and dying world. I believe in that. I've staked my life upon that. But friends, we need to be careful about who we cooperate with. And we just got to be careful. It doesn't mean we can't cooperate with anybody. Listen, we, we are not isolationists and we should not be isolationists. We need to be in the world but not of the world. Amen? But when we talk about cooperating with other churches and other groups, friends, we need to be careful about that because, friends, we must never compromise the essence of the gospel. 
There are a lot of churches that say they preach the gospel, but they, they, they add stuff onto the gospel or they take stuff away from the gospel. Friends, the gospel is simply that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins and for yours, that he was buried and he rose again. And by simply believing in that, I, all my sins can be forgiven, my name can be written into heaven, and I can have eternal life. That is the essence of the gospel. And when people try to add stuff onto that, oh, yeah, but you, you, you need, we've got a list here you need to follow. Okay, a lot of churches do that. Oh, you know, maybe it's not a written list, right? It's an unwritten list. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And so we've got to be careful about that, friends. We've got to be uh, careful about what all is, is put out there. Uh, there are some churches who, who, just, uh, who teach a, a gospel of just love everybody, right? And there is no sin. Sin, what, what, God, God's just going to love and forgive everybody anyway. It doesn't matter that Christ died on the cross for our sins. Friends, that leads us to Paul's third concern here. And it comes right out of that beware of false teachers, friends. We need to hold fast to the gospel of grace. Hold fast to the gospel of grace. You've heard the acronym probably before, God's riches at Christ's expense. We get all the blessings of being a child of God simply because Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And by simply putting our faith and trust in that and that alone, friends, we can be saved, we can be born again, we can become a child of God, and, and God will, will do a miracle in our lives and transform us from the inside out. So the gospel is a gospel of grace. It's not a gospel of good works. You say, but pastor, aren't we as Christians supposed to do good works? Yes, God has prepared those things for us to do beforehand, but that is not how we're saved. Amen? It is not a, a gospel of good works. It's not a gospel of works, uh, lest anyone should boast. Uh, the gospel is by grace. It is a free gift of God, available to all freely, simply by saying yes to what Jesus has done for us. That is the message of the gospel in a nutshell. It's a gospel of grace, not a gospel of works. Friends, it's not a gospel of do good. It's not a gospel of self-help. It's not a gospel of, of, of let's all feel good, warm, and fuzzy. Amen? It's not even a gospel of legalism, friends. It is a gospel of grace. And what Paul was speaking about here was he said, don't let anybody come in and teach you otherwise. Don't let anybody put you back under that yoke of bondage. Don't let anybody come in and try to add stuff to what we've said. If it is other than what you heard delivered to us, Paul says, delivered from us, Paul says elsewhere, it is anathema. Friends, we must hold on to the fact that it is a gospel of grace and not let others distort the truth. Friends, that was one of Paul's greatest concerns. Amen? Friends, we are saved by grace through faith and that alone. Amen? Hold fast to the gospel of grace. And friends, the fourth concern Paul has here for specifically, and this one is specifically for those leaders in the church, is that they would be servant leaders. That they would be servant leaders. Verse 33 says this. It says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this. Again, he's appealing to his testimony that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Friends, many people, when they think of leadership, they think, oh, it's a position. I want this position. I want to do this and I want to have this title and so forth. Listen, friends, Leadership in the church is about service. It's not about titles. Jesus said, whoever wants to be greatest among you must be servant of all. And so, friends, it is about, uh, as Paul told them, we should care more about others than we do about ourselves. We should be willing to, to, to set ourselves aside and put other people first. Amen? And to serve them, even when we don't want to, even when we don't feel like it, friends, servant leadership is the only way the church of Jesus Christ should be led. And Paul wanted to convey that to them. Say, listen, as you watch over and care for the flock, serve the church. Serve them selflessly. Do as I did and showed among you. And look at verse 36 as Paul wraps it up. He says this. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. 
Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Friends, I want you to think about this. Here, the Apostle Paul had led probably most of them, if not all of them, to Christ. He had spent a lot of time with them, several years with them, discipling them and pouring into them. No wonder they cared so much, amen? No wonder they had tears running down their face. No no wonder they were uh, so sad that they would possibly never, ever be able to see him again this side of glory. But here's Paul's message to them. As Paul had been their leader, he was saying, listen, now it was time for them to step up. Now it's time for them to step up. Now it was time for them to take on the leadership role in which God had called them to do. Friends, so many times, maybe if you were saved and have been growing in your faith, you know, we always feel like the learner, don't we? And we should. There's nothing wrong with that. We always need to be learning and growing. We should never feel like we've arrived. And so let me just say this. If you're waiting to, to serve the Lord and to, 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 to be willing to serve the Lord in leadership uh, places, and you say, you know what, I'm going to wait till I feel like I'm ready for that. Friends, you will never feel ready. Ever. You will never, ever feel ready. But friends, there comes a time in every family, there comes a time in every uh, company, there comes a time in every organization, there comes a time in every church when it's time for the next generation to step up. When it's time for the next generation to accept responsibility, to fulfill their duties, to lead, to, to, to serve uh, as God has called them to serve. And the question I have for you this morning is this, friends. Could it be your time? Could it be your time? Friends, could God be calling you to step up? You say, but pastor, I, I, I'm not a leader. I've never led. I can't lead. Friends, listen. If you are a child of God and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... Other people are watching you, and you're leading whether you want to or not. We have been entrusted with a great and glorious gospel. It's a message of hope. Amen? It's a message of freedom. Amen? It's a message of grace. And it's a message of life. Will we protect it? Will we guard it? Will we be sold out to it? Will we lead others to it? Friends, I want to encourage you this morning. Listen, if we go around the room, God has gifted each and every one of us differently. Amen? And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Some of you, God's gifted to work with uh, uh, adults. Some, God is gifted to uh, have the gift of gab and and share your faith more naturally. (laughs) Some, God is gifted to work with children. Some God is gifted to work with teens. Some God is gifted uh, just to, to help out. Friends, however it is, friends, would you be willing to step up and serve the Lord Jesus Christ however he has called you to do it? You know, so many people say they know Jesus, claim to know Christ, but he is not the passion of their life. May 17th, 1987, The Atlanta Journal-Constitution carried a story about a man named Robert Cutshaw. Rob Cutshaw uh, was a rock hunter. Uh, Yes, he hunted for rocks. Who owned a little roadside rock shop outside the small mountain town of Andrews, North Carolina. Like many people in the trade, he hunted for rocks and then sold them to collectors or jewelry makers. Now, uh, Rob was not an expert in rocks but he knew enough about them to decide which to pick up and sell and which uh, not to so he went and he would find rocks sell them in his little rock shop and if he thought they were something he would leave the appraising up to other people while on a while on one of his digs almost 20 years earlier back in 1969 rob found a rock in which he simply described, and you have to kind of get into the accent here a little bit, he described it as, it was real purdy and it was real big. (laughs) He decided to try to sell the stone, and according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, when he could not sell it, he kept the rock under his bed for a long time, then then in a box in his closet, and then on a shelf in his little rock shop. And even as people came in and saw this, he had it, 
uh, for sale. His guess was that the, the blue chunk of rock would sell for probably as much as $500, he said. But he probably would have taken something less if somebody had offered it to him. That's how close Rob came to hawking off for a few hundred dollars what turned out to be the largest, most valuable sapphire ever found at that time. The blue rock that Rob had found and had left in the darkness of his closet and had hidden under his bed for nearly 18 years became known as the Star of David Sapphire and weighed in at over 2,100 carats, estimated to be worth over two and a half million dollars. Friends, Rob Cutshaw didn't realize the treasure he had in that rock. Do you realize the value, the treasure you have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Friends, how awesome is it that the God of the universe wants to have a relationship with us? Amen? How many people take that for granted? Maybe some of you are here this morning. And maybe you've heard the gospel for the very first time or maybe for the very first time when God's really spoke to you and convicted you of your need for Jesus. Here's what I want to encourage you, friends. It is the most valuable thing you can ever find on the face of this earth, more value than the star of David's sapphire because it is what gives us eternity. It's what Jesus did on the cross for us. Friends, would you simply say yes to him, receive him into your life, and let your life be sold out to him some of you are here today and you've heard the gospel over and over and over and over again so much so that you've become like Eutychus and you just fall asleep most of the time when you hear the gospel it is lost it's wonder to you today would you repent of that and ask God to renew a right spirit within you friends would you return to your first love stop taking the Lord Jesus for granted amen and let him be your all in all let 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 him uh, listen don't just kind of add him onto your life friends I know many of you don't like this analogy but friends it's all chips in amen (laughs) it's everything in for Jesus it's either Jesus or nothing that's what my life is all about and I hope that's the truth for yours as well friends if not today would you get it right with him today Would you choose Jesus? Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for, Lord, I thank you first of all for your word, Lord, in which you've revealed to us the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ. You've given us testimony of who he was and who he is. You've given us testimony of what he did for us. And Lord, help us never take that for granted. But to first come realize that we're sinners in need of Him as a Savior. Lord, we know that You have foreordained that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, sister, today I'm asking for Your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and work in our lives. Lord, for those who are here who do not know you as Lord and Savior, that would not just leave here with business undone, but that today would put their faith and trust in you, Lord Jesus, as their Savior and the Lord or boss of their life. Lord, I pray for those who are here who have taking you for granted who their Christianity has just come, become mundane. Lord, today, this morning, would you work in our hearts, Lord, to revive us again, to help us turn from any wicked ways that are, Lord, any sin that we've become, become used to and just maybe, Lord, have not stayed close to you. Lord, help us turn from those things and draw near to you today so that you will draw near to us. Lord Jesus, do a work in our heart. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.